This is Fortune's Wheel, a podcast history of the late Middle Ages, and I'm Jonathan. Today's going to be different. It's Halloween season, and honestly, this is probably my most favorite time of the year. The scary movies, the turning of the leaves, the chill in the air, the nights with fire pits and friends. I just love everything about it. And here in the podcast, I want to share that love of all things spooky. But today, like I said, is a little different even from that. See, a little while ago, I came across the Chronicles of Byland Abbey, which weren't actually written, I believe, until the 1400s. And as I understand it, Byland Abbey itself wasn't even built until the mid-1100s. So, yeah, skipping ahead a little bit on the podcast from where we are, but only in the name of storytelling. I promise. Besides, do you realize how hard it is to find scary stories from the 11th century, specifically? They exist, but it's usually behind a paywall, and sorry, I'm just not quite that funded yet. Now, you can help out, if you're so inclined, by joining us on Patreon and becoming a supporting member. Sorry, there's my shameless plug. Anyway, I took one of the 12 Byland Abbey ghost stories. I know, 12 of them. And I adapted one of them as my own medieval ghost story today. So, here we go, folks. Today's episode, an episode we can have fun with, episode 81, a bonus episode, is entitled Causum et Remedium. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. It was a pretty cloudy day, one marked by bouts of rain interspersed with howling wind and light breaking through the cloud cover that the people of Yorkshire walked through the day as if in a never-ending dusk. Many miles to the south, the city of York was in a subdued bustle. The farmers and craftsmen were still bringing their goods to market, while merchants were still buying and selling these goods. The roads were muddy and difficult to travel upon, but the people of Yorkshire were made of harder stuff. These were the ancestors of Anglo-Saxons, of Norse, and of Danes. They were made of rock, unable to wither and rot from the constant water dripping off their brows and running down their bodies. They still went about their day, though their heads hung low in the dismal state of the world. A young man found himself a few miles north of the city, having carried his bag to market to no avail. Word from the sellers was that the abbey just north of the city was in need of exactly what he had to sell. And so on he went. Each step seemed to suck his feet into earth deeper and deeper. The nearby stream, Longbeck, he thought he heard the locals call it, had overflowed his banks from the more than a week of near-constant rain, and he felt as if the ground beneath his feet was merely a facade, that the stream itself was flowing just inches below, that he could fall through and drown at any moment. It was not a comforting thought, he chuckled to himself. The weight upon his back had days before deadened his legs and shoulders to any pain and discomfort. It was beyond that at this point. But his right knee, still not quite healed from the incident a few weeks before, sent strikes of pain into his hips that he likened to what a lightning bolt looked like as it struck the ground in an instant. 
He just needed to keep his eyes down in this pouring rain, thinking of life back home in Lincolnshire, thinking of sunnier days, thinking of Awen, beautiful, beautiful Awen, who was set to marry another. He shook the thoughts from his mind and the water from his bangs. What's done was done. Besides, it, it was self-defense. Shaking loose his thoughts again, he watched his feet plunge deep into the wet earth with each labored step. He wasn't sure if it was just getting harder to walk on the path or if he was getting more exhausted, but his breathing, he noticed, had picked up considerably over the last hour or so. These were treacherous roads. In the dim, midday light, the trees felt like they were closing in on him each time he looked up. The rain had gotten heavier, too, and he wondered if there was a point in one's misery when one simply couldn't become any more miserable. If so, he thought, he had to be getting close. Looking to his right, the trees were getting thicker. But he knew any creature out there would have already found shelter. There was no hunting in this weather. As he turned his gaze downward again, off the left corner of his eye, straight up the path, through the gray shroud of pouring rain, he thought he glimpsed a darkness. The moment his eyes met his feet, he jerked back up, looking straight ahead as his brain registered what it thought it saw. In the lag needed to comprehend what his periphery noticed, he knew that where the amorphous darkness was, was nothing now but rain. Oh, great man, he thought. Now you're losing yourself. A man with no sense. It's exactly the type of person who won't be selling this godforsaken sack of beans that no one, you know, seems to want to buy anyway. With this thought, he added miserably, well, that's another step down the misery ladder, so I guess I haven't hit bottom yet. It's good news, I suppose. The young man walked on for another hour or so, and the sky had the audacity to find a way to drop even more water than it already was. And all he could think was, how? His knee, the one carrying the limp, buckled all of a sudden. He fell, the bag crashing with him. He cursed from the pain, as at, and as he picked himself up, he cursed again as he lost half his bag of beans. No one would buy muddy beans. And if he gathered these muddy beans, the rest of the beans inside the bag would get muddy as well, possibly ruining the entire sale. You know, just a month ago, he was home. He was in love with the, with the very real possibility of marrying this girl. His knee was healthy and he was set to become his father's partner in business. He hadn't yet killed a man. Now... Now, he's face down in the mud, holding back tears no one would ever, ever see, even if they were around because of the downpour he was trudging through just then. His entire life, he was moments before carrying on his back, now strewn across the muddy path. Where is this bottom, he thought. I have got to be getting close. Rubbing his knee and trying to stand, he heard a faint splash in the distance, he paid it no mind as the cacophony of falling water against the mud and the leaves on the trees created a, you know, a static that drowned everything else out. Registering it in some remote part of his brain, he managed to stand. Knowing this abbey must be nearby, 
He just needed to get there. At the very least, the monks would take him in for the night. With his knee in the shape that it was in presently, the sail became secondary. He turned where he stood, looking on either side of the path for a thick stick he could put some, just a little of his weight on. But what he saw instead as he glanced from one side to the other sent him reeling backwards back onto the wet ground he'd just risen from. He hardly noticed his sack once again, spilling roughly half of its contents among the already spilled beans. Just ahead of him, so close he could reach out and touch it, was a horse towering above him, standing high on its hind legs, its front legs kicking at the air above where his head was just located. His eyes wide, his brain struggling to figure out how to process where this massive creature came from, how it was, how it was able to come so close without him noticing its approach. Sure, the rain was a dull roar in his ears, but he'd become accustomed to it after walking in it for hours and hours. He reckoned quite quickly that he would surely have seen this thing approach, let alone heard its clumping hooves in the thick, sucking mud. He scooted and slid backward, removing himself from the horse's eventual return to the ground. It was then that he noticed something else peculiar and terrifying about the scene. The horse. It seemed semi-transparent. His brain didn't accept it, though, not when the pouring rain seemed to act as a thin veneer over everything beyond, say, an arm's length from his eyes. As the horse lowered itself, the young man was too panicked to register that it made no noise and it, it made no splash, but he did happen to see that no one was riding the beast in the first place. He stood with some difficulty, of course, due to his knees shoot, shooting pain throughout his body now, and he approached the horse with a hand held out. Inches away from his gaping nostrils, he jerked back as the horse shuddered and let out a sudden snort. He brought his breathing under control again and held out his hand, inching closer and closer, still baffled at the creature's sudden appearance. The horse's eyes were black as night, reflecting nothing. But they seemed to be trained on the young man, who thought he felt a menace in its glare. The young man's hand stopped a hair's breadth away from the horse's muzzle, sensing something that was off about the whole experience. But before he could figure out what it was, the horse lifted its head, and instead of touching the young man's hand, the horse's snout went right through his hand. The young man, barely comprehending what had just happened, swiftly stepped backwards, However, his knee buckled to the side again, and he fell, his head meeting the mud with a hard thud. His vision doubled and blurred, but he knew he was in mortal danger, and he reacted with the senses he was still afforded. As he managed to get to his feet again, he prayed loudly through the storm, In the name of God and his Son, Jesus Christ, do not harm me! Do not harm me! Standing, he wiped the rain from his eyes and noticed the horse was no longer there. Instead... Its hulking place stood a man. The young man blinked. This man was less a man, and strangely more a memory. He stood as real as any other man, except this time the young man could clearly see that his form was thin. The path leading off into the distance ahead was faintly visible through this man's body. The young man noticed the man's familiar face, but wasted no time trying to figure out how he knew him. 
The young man ran around the apparition, leaving his bag of beans behind. He ran and he ran, not stopping for what seemed like an eternity. He ran until his knee could, couldn't possibly handle another step. The young man slowed and limped for a spell, just wanting to leave that experience behind him, get as far away as he could. The longer he walked, the better he felt. Though he felt like he'd slipped several rungs down that ladder toward the bottom of misery. Each step was a step back up, but he felt he would never escape his guilt, his shame. After a while, he noticed the light that did manage to sneak through the clouds was dimming considerably now. It must now be late afternoon, and he still had no idea how much farther this abbey was ahead of him. His mind continued to replay the moment, trying desperately to make sense of it, and each cognitive deadened he came to, he punctuated it with a prayer. But the fear always returned within seconds. It rose so high within him that he jerked around in all directions every so often because he swore he'd heard the whinnying of a horse. He forced himself to stop when he saw a waterlogged tree that had fallen near the edge of the path. He had to give his injured leg a rest, otherwise well, he'd never make it. Sitting and putting his elbows on his knees, he rested his head in his hands, allowing his eyes to close for a moment. Was he making it all up? He prayed to God for clarification, for an explanation as to what had happened. If anything, he prayed for God to relieve his suffering, his fear, his guilt. Replaying the incident back home, the young man there on the log began to cry in his hands. He never meant for it to happen, though he admitted to anyone who would listen to his complaints in the days leading up to it that he'd love to see that man dead. The man's name was Abrakan, and his father had negotiated Abrakan's betrothal to Ewen just months before he would feel he was in a place to have his father open negotiations for her hand. They'd been friends for years anyway, he and Ewen, and everyone figured it would happen eventually, but a year earlier... Abrakan's family wandered in after losing their lands to fire. It didn't take them long to fill the gap in the town, as the serendipitous arrival coincided with the death of the community's logger to injury a month earlier. Abrakan, his brothers, and his father filled the hole in the community's market, and the town was back on its feet in terms of keeping prices of wood low enough to continue its slow but steady growth. But Abrakan was this young man's age, which means he was just a year older than beautiful Awen. The family of loggers became well-to-do quite quickly and wasted no time in expanding their number. One brother went upstream to work on a bridge project that would not only expand trade in the area, but also plant the seed in the traders who traveled that way, who may be in need of, a, of lumber for various projects in the region. Abrakan was next to plan his future, and that included a prosperous farmer's daughter, this young man's love, of course, Awen. The young man resented Abrakan with the fires of hell, and he made sure his opinions were known. The whole town, in fact, was aware of the young man's thoughts. It was no secret, which is exactly why it was a problem. What's more is that Abrakan was, well, he was actually a good man. He was honest, trustworthy, strong, and he would make a good husband of any woman he married. Into the palms of his hands, this young man cried and cried more. 
Replaying the moment over and over again was the hardest thing he'd had to live with, besides not being able to be with beautiful Awen. He was asked by Aberkan to help with a big load to haul in from the forest nearby. He had helped with jobs like this before, but, well, now that the betrothal was set, he had only hatred in his eyes. He's admitted to himself and to God that he was, in fact, thinking of ways to punish Aberkan, even though he knew rationally that Aberkan was hardly at fault for this. But Aberkan was in, in the way, basically, and this is how his hatred was fueled. But this young man was also honest with himself when he swore to God Almighty that he had had no real intention of following through with any of these deranged thoughts of justice. He was merely angry and resentful, which is something he wasn't normally. He, like Abercan, was a good man. As one log rolled into the river to float downstream toward the town, Abercan pushed another toward the banks. Still seething, the young man watched Abercan with a loathing unequal to anything he'd ever felt before. He imagined himself pushing Abercan into the water, jumping in after him and holding his head below the surface until Abercan's body went limp. He would chalk it up to an unlucky accident when his body washed ashore downstream. He would say he'd gone back into the woods for a moment to, say, count how many logs were left when he returned and found his friend gone. As these thoughts raced through his mind with a grim satisfaction, he was suddenly falling forward. A log had been dislodged from its bindings and had shifted enough to roll forward right over the young man's right leg. His shout was drowned out by the massive splash from the giant tree trunk that Abercan had just released into the river. Clutching his knee, the young man registered what had happened, and before he could shout a warning to Abercan, the other man, his back to the rolling log ahead, was caught unawares and was rolled face first into the bank. And the way his back arched around the rolling log, the crack the young man heard was without question Abercan's back breaking. In tears, the young man climbed to his feet and looked at the disturbed water. Within seconds, Abercan's hand was noticed on the water's surface, the arm rolling underneath the floating log. Without thinking, the young man panicked. Who would ever believe this was just an accident? So, he limped into the forest and never went back. Any possibility of clearing his name was gone at this point. His absence left little doubt in the town folk's minds of his guilt. Well, more than that, more even than never seeing Awen again, was that he genuinely felt horrible for the death of a man he once did consider a friend. He allowed his hatred for the situation, not the man, the situation, to pull his attention away from where they should have been, on the job, on the logs. He prayed to God for forgiveness. After a while, the rain seemed to lighten up a bit there on the path, but it was still a heavy downpour. He stopped crying, though his knee was certainly giving him something else to cry about. Looking up, he was startled to find the bag of beans he'd left behind. He was sitting in the middle of the path, but he was positive that he'd have heard someone passing by. They wouldn't just assume they were his beans and leave them without saying a word anyway. Fear began to creep back into his mind as he managed to get up to his feet, despite the shooting pain. 
He pulled the bag onto his shoulder, and it felt as heavy as it did before his run-in with the spectral horse, if indeed all of that had actually happened, which was still so, so difficult to accept. He looked around suspiciously, and seeing nothing, he turned up the path. But taking a few steps, he was struck dumb by the same apparition that had taken the horse's place earlier. The path was clear just seconds before, but here it was. The young man was already at his end, and though he was intensely afraid, he was not startled, and he did not panic this time. He recognized the spirit in front of him, and he was ready to confront it. He squared his shoulders to it, lifted his chin, and said, It was an accident. The spirit stood silent. Look, I am so sorry this happened to you, and I take responsibility for my part, for not paying close enough attention to the logs. No response. But I swear to you and to God that I never intended to hurt you, despite the awful thoughts I had toward you. I recognize you were never at fault. I was disappointed. I was angry. My heart was broken because I loved her more than anyone else could ever love a woman. Silence. But I know you would have treated her right, the young man said. Through it all, Abercan's transparent form showed only a sad, downturned expression, one befitting a man who had been stripped of everything, even life. Answer me! In the name of God, answer me! the young man screamed. His knee at that moment gave out, and he collapsed again, crying out in pain as well as the desperation of the situation. The bag crashed to the ground. The young man gave up. This, he thought, this must be the bottom. He couldn't continue, not with his leg unable to move or even stand up. He wished he could just melt away, each tiny piece of him being swept away by the rivulets of water running out of his hair, flowing into the tiny streams in the path that eventually made their way to the rivers of the land and finally into the sea, where he would simply dissipate into the vastness of God's creation. But he suddenly felt himself lifted onto his feet and a weightlessness in his legs. He could move with no pain. He was startled at the sight of Abercan's apparition beside him, though it was looking straight ahead. The weight had lifted both off Abercan's face as well as from the young man's heart, and he felt as if there was something carrying him forward. The two men walked in silence for what seemed like a couple more hours, the dim light of the day giving way to the near blackness of a stormy night. By the time they reached the stream, the one the locals called Longbeck, the young man could see torchlight in the near distance, just through the trees. That must be the abbey he was seeking, the one they called Byland Abbey. Thinking nothing of crossing the stone bridge, the young man took a step upon it, suddenly feeling a heaviness press upon his shoulders. Adjusting to this weight, he grabbed toward his shoulder out of instinct and grabbed the end of the bag. The bag, the apparition, must have been hauling all this time. And it felt full again. The young man wheeled around, ready to apologize, ready to try to engage in conversation one last time with an old acquaintance. But when he turned around, Abercan's finger, there at the edge of the bridge, was pointing beyond the young man toward the abbey and he disappeared 
fading into the raindrops. The young man felt, well, he felt very far from the bottom. Minutes later, he reached the abbey, stumbling up to its door. The monks received him graciously, and he knew in that moment, as the monks caught him, as he fell through the door, injured and exhausted, that he would never leave this place. He would be sure that this abbey would know of his experience, and why they and why they will pray for the soul of Abrakan for the rest of their days as a testament to the Lord's goodness. This young man would teach all who would listen about causum et remedium, or the causes and the remedies of for our guilt, and how you cannot have the remedy without an admission of the cause. Guilt is certainly the end of a story, but this young man would confidently tell you that guilt is also the beginning of another story altogether, one that you may not want to miss. Thank you.